When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Charlie Gilkey. He's the founder of Productive Flourishing, a company that helps professional creatives, leaders, and changemakers take meaningful action on work that matters. And that's exactly what we're talking about in this conversation as we talk about his book, Start Finishing, How to Go from Idea to done. And as I've mentioned recently, there aren't a lot of productivity books that I point to and say, that's the next productivity book that you need to read. Recently, I gave a recommendation for Near Eyal's Indistractable. This is the next one. Start Finishing from Charlie Gilkey. So you're going to want to pay attention to this conversation and this book as we talk about selecting projects, figuring out how to fit those projects into the space of your life, starting the right projects, and much more. This is a great conversation. I'm glad to have Charlie on the show finally. He'll definitely be back. But enjoy this conversation with Charlie Gilkey. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Charlie Gilkey. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. So you've got a great brand new book out. It's called Start Finishing, which feels kind of awkward to say, but it, but again, it, it's basically how to go from idea to done. And I am aware of why there is a need for this book. I, I live this out. So do you, especially some of the downsides of not being organized enough to be in a flurry of activity and start a lot of things, but not finish them. And I know the audience of this podcast is very much in that same vein, but why do you see uh, a need for this book? Because a lot of people are exasperated, frustrated, and, and have a lot of regrets. Right. Mm -hmm. And we haven't solved that problem yet. And so the book, in many ways, is a Trojan horse. It's built on the simple concept that uh, finished projects build the bridge between the gap or build the bridge and the gap um, between our current life and the life we want to live. Right. It's finished projects. So if you're stuck or if you're doing whatever your status quo is and it's not taking you where you want to go, it's not a matter of your capabilities. It's not a matter of the ideas. It's the fact that you haven't actually done the projects that are going to build that bridge. And so many of us, when we're looking at to-do lists, when we look at what happened for the week, the month, or the quarter, we look back and we're like, you know what? I didn't create that bridge to that next version of myself, to that next version of my work. And the reason this book needs to exist is because, you know, when I look out and scan across both the personal development and the productivity literature, not enough of us are talking about this idea that it's really getting down into this messy middle of projects and getting them done that's going to do the work of changing our life. Mm, well said. I, I think that's one of the biggest things right there is just that it, it's not just about, you know, hey, I have this book in me or I, I have this, I don't know, in, course that I want to create or, and we can even step aside from the whole, you know, 
modern online business content creator uh, role here. Uh, a project could be planting that garden you finally meant to plant, you know, that's in, in your backyard or whatever. Yeah. Um, ultimately, though, I think the really great way of how you're framing this is that there's a there's a there's a you that you're meant to be. And by completing certain things, you step stone into becoming more that person. Now you're already that person, but you know, and we can get all metaphysical or whatever, and I don't want to, but like, (laughs) in other words, there is a person that is doing this good work that you are meant to be. And the way you get there is by finishing doing these projects. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm completely happy to go metaphysical. I am a philosopher after all, but that's right. I forgot. (laughs) Yeah. What I want to say there is I'm glad you um, sort of you stole the thunder in the great way in the sense where when I say projects, I mean anything that takes time, energy and attention. And the challenge and the problem is that so many of us over prioritize economic projects, i.e. career, Mm. work, business. And we try to squeeze the work of our lives in the remainder of what's left over. Um, in the time that we have remaining. And then when we look back, when we really want to talk about regrets and exasperations, like it's really about the fact that there was this work of our life, this personal work that we didn't do. We didn't plant that garden. We didn't have an intentional way of helping our son graduate high school and move on to college. We didn't help our aging parent into um, elder care, whatever that position is. We, we weren't present for that. You know, I'm not going to get all cats in the cradle on this one, right? But that's, I think, what's happening is that um, when we think project, and furthermore, when we think work, it's economic projects, economic work. But I really want us to be focusing just as much on the work of our lives so that, you know, we're not in this place to where no matter how hard we work, no matter how much we rock the to-do list, we're unfulfilled because that that gap, again, I keep talking about bridges and gaps, it's kind of like we think we're going to work, we're going to go work, and then someday I'm going to have the time, the money, the bandwidth, or a better boss, or the kids will be gone, and then I'll work on that stuff that really, truly matters for me. And yeah. the other thing that I want to say here is that because we so over-prioritize economic work, we don't allow ourselves to have hobbies. We don't allow ourselves just to paint because we want to paint or to read books because we want to read books or to bake cakes because we love baking cakes and then have to give them to our neighbors. And so we don't do the stuff that when we look at it, like that's actually why we're doing all this economic work to start with. Mm. Yeah, I love that you're differentiating that. And, and you know, for a lot of people out there, they would approach this book uh, from the per- perspective of that that, you know, that that project or, you know, one of those projects that they have, multiple projects, obviously, uh, that they have in them, when they think of doing that good work, they're thinking of it from a, you know, if I can, if I have this day job, I'm not satisfied there in my projects that I'm doing there, although this book will help you with those for sure. They also come to the perspective of treating those potential hobby like projects as must be monetized type projects. Yeah. And that's the very worst thing that we can do. Sometimes you really want to suck the joy out of a habit, out of a hobby, turn it into a job, right? Turn it, make it make money. Right. And I'm not trying to say that like you can't monetize your hobbies. Like that's a great way of doing some things, but some of us, some of us just need to have a hobby. And, you know, when I work with clients on this one, Eric, I'm always like, what are your non-economic hobbies that we don't want to, that we don't even <laughs> want to touch? 
because I want to make a room for that. For instance, I'm a you know very amateur singer songwriter. I don't have any plans on ever producing a commercial album or maybe even playing in front of people on stage. It's for me. It's what I enjoy to do, and that's where I can find that joy. There's you know I don't need even more pressure than what's already in my life. Right. The pressure to get better, pressure to be on stage and pressure to sell albums. I don't need that. I got plenty of other stuff to be to pressure myself for. And so, yeah, we don't make space for that. And and, or we try to shoehorn our passions and loves and interests into some sort of some view of productivity that makes us feel better about it. So, for instance, I you know, when I used to live in Nebraska, there's this woman that lived across the street that loved scrapbooking. Right. Actually, she loved to do an arts and crafts, but she allowed herself to do scrapbooking because she told herself, I get I'm doing this for the kids and it's not taking away from kid time if I do the scrapbooking. And granted, it wasn't one of those like conversations where you're out on the street talking to a neighbor where you're like, hey, you know, but in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, that's really sad in a way that she has structured her passion, her joy that it has to be so that it serves her family and kids. And she can't do something just to take care of herself, just to be, just to have that sense of creative satisfaction and joy and flow and things like that. So, yeah, um, I'm going to say that, you know, those hobbies, those projects like that, they need to be on the deck anyways. And if it's not on your schedule, it's not a priority. It's an aspiration. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, but too often we get frustrated and tell ourselves, like, I'm not, you know, seeing through my priorities, so on and so forth. But like, when you really look at it, and if we sort of follow Gandhi's quote that, um, you know, action expresses priority, look at your schedule. What have you been doing the last two weeks, last two months? Whether you like it or not, those are your priorities. And if you want your schedule to look different, you're going to have to prioritize differently. I totally admire what you're saying about how you know the place that music has for you in your life. You're not going to put undue pressure on it to perform in any kind of monetization type way. That's not to say that there's not something out there potentially. And again, you got to tread lightly here to, to, you know, balance the scales a bit, I guess, or whatever, uh, that there's not some great work out there for you to do that you really enjoy doing that also could be a career play as well. But again, the expectation of that always being the case is what we're kind of uh, trying to bust the myth of here. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, in the book, I talk about using your gates, which are genius, affinities, talents, expertise, and strengths. And so for I'll go back to music for me. I don't, I'm a public speaker. I do workshops. I'm not going to be the guy, or at least I don't think I'm going to be the guy where I'm like, you know, I'm going to play a song on my guitar in front of you while you're doing work. That's not my jam. But that musical sensibility, that that thing, like I've now accepted, Eric, that part of my process of making a workshop or keynote is to make a playlist for that workshop or keynote. <laughs> right? oh, that's it's cool. Just, it's just one of those things where it's like if I can't like feel, feel the music and the songs and something and, and depending upon the venue, I might actually play that playlist. Right. And it might be in the background. So if we're working on a project or if we're working on an exercise, I have a song that ties to the theme of that exercise, the team, the theme and the flow and the feel, right? So that's how I use that particular sort of unique contribution. But again, I'm not, you know, someone's like, Hey, we can't play music. I'm like, Oh no, it's my main thing. It's like, okay, it was an, it was special sauce. It wasn't the core. Yeah. And I'm not trying to monetize that in a way that makes it super frustrating for me or for other people. Well, and I love how you put this in the book. It's one of the subtitles and one of the 
early sections where you're talking about this this basically this best work that we have waiting for us to do and that if we can get to the point of doing it it basically it unblocks our creative constipation and that it, it then lets the ideas flow. So for you, for example, like uh, you making a playlist and not it, that that's you dipping into your secret sauce, like you put it, which I love. I love that um, having your secret sauce kind of sp- spun throughout, you know, uh, all your work, whether you're actively doing that or not. It's that it's that the noodling with the music is getting you uh, it, it's you out and active in your mind, in your creativity, you know, metaphorically. Absolutely. And I mean, we can go all sorts of scientific about this as we want. Like I know one of the reasons that I do that is it helps me with cadence Mm -hmm. um, and cadence and flow and energy. And so as I'm looking at energetic modulations in my workshops and speeches, like the songs and the music help me do that. But I wouldn't have to do that. I could just say I just enjoy it. It's a part of my process. And yeah, it unblocks that process. And I don't spend, you know, four hours wondering why I can't put the workshop together where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to noodle around for 15, 20 minutes, come up with a playlist, play it in the background while I'm finishing the plot, while I'm finishing the workshop, everything comes together. And I think part of the challenge that we have is because we try to make hobbies and interest into careers or what I call jobbies, which are jobs <laughs> plus hobbies. Um, but you got to be careful that in Ireland, by the way, someone told me that. So don't say jobby in Ireland because um, it means crap. But, um, you know, for the state side, for those state side um, jobbies are sort of that combination. Those are terrible. Right. But what we end up doing is we end up saying like, but that interest, that hobby, that creative thing, that special sauce is something that I want to be seen for, something that I want to do. How do I do it? And I was like, well, there are ways to weave it into your project. There are ways to weave it into the foundation of what you're doing, weave it into your relationships so that you're not so exasperated and frustrated about not being able to do that thing, not being able to play that card that you have. But again, just because you have that card doesn't mean you need to change from space to poker, right? Just to play that card. You just play it in a different way. Yeah, man. I, it, it, one of the other things, though, is that people would say, well, but if what if you're, but if you're not going like, uh, you, you know, all in, if you're not risking something, then are you really like, uh, you know, following through or, you know, it, I, I'm thinking of like super motivational uh, entrepreneurial uh, speaker types that I will not name that are saying like, no, nah, dude, like go all in. Like, you know, you try it, you see it. If it works, if it fails, you move on like that kind of a thing. And I'm just like, yeah, but it doesn't have to be this all or nothing like zero sum game kind of thing that you then move on from. It can be a lot more relational and holistic and incorporated into all of your life. Of course, that then gets messy potentially. But again, that's where the book comes in and really, really helps you. Yeah, I mean, what I would want to say without going into too much straw man and ad hominem on this one is when you when you look beyond what they're saying. And sometimes you look at their life in the total context of their business and personal relationships. You see that going all in on everything has a cost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that they're also not talking about that. So at the same motivational speakers, like go all in and just do it. I'm not going to say it because everyone knows who I'm talking about. Just do it. And then, oh, you see a post on Instagram about, you know, them having a challenge with their partner, <laughs> right? Or not being there for the kids. I'm like, maybe like, let's put these two things together and say, are you really living life. And, and maybe for those folks, that's the trade-off that they want to make. Mm-hmm. For many of us, we don't want to make that trade-off. And in my point is, and I talk about this um, in chapter three about choosing your level of success, right? If you are going to choose an epic goal, 
an epic. So there are three levels of success. I'll, I'll slow down here. Small success, moderate success, and epic success. So small success, you get it done. It's um, notable, but it's not you know life changing for you. You're not necessarily going to call up all your friends, tell them about it. Moderate success is you do better. It's really going to be one of those like foundational um, projects, but maybe it's still not press worthy. And then epic success is your version of you know the Oprah show or whatever your thing is, right? When you choose epic goals for everything, you end up just on the road of burnout. You end up on a road of, you know, relational destruction. Um, you end up on the road of being unfulfilled because you can't do it. Um, and so I would say to that one, there are some types of things. So go back to me and sort of the music. I have small success goals for my, you know, playing guitar, right? I'm not that that suits me. That's the amount of effort that I'm going to put behind that. And that's OK with me. Right. And so whatever I'm like, I can't play like Dave Matthews. I'm not freaking Dave Matthews. <laughs> right. I'm not putting that type of work in. I'm not going to be him. Right. I'm not going to be any of those like really legendary people. I'm going to be a guy that has been playing guitar for about 20 years, can pick up most songs pretty quickly, can sing and play along. And that's about it. Right. I'm good with that. And so we get to choose where we're going to be epic. Or, you know, if you're listening to this and you're not a millennial, you can say extreme. It's all good. Right. Um, and so you could choose these places. And I just ask people like, maybe choose one or two places or maybe just try one, <laughs> try one and be really great at that. And then choose your success bar, choose, you know, um, small and, you know, moderate for some other things. And oh, by the way, your extreme success could be like being a really awesome parent. Right. It could be that you know, really that pillar of your church that keeps everyone going and keeps things like we can choose those things to be truly great at. And then when we look at maybe our careers, you say, you know what? I'm a pretty okay manager and I'm okay with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not trying to be, you know, the best manager in the world. I'm trying to be a manager and I'm trying to do good by my people and do good by my, do well by my company. But I have these other things that matter more to me. That's the name of the game that I'm trying to get people to play. Uh, I love it. I love framing all of this with the proper perspective before even getting into talking about what does it take when you start getting into, um, you know, kicking off projects and and in fact, uh, kicking off maybe multiple projects. And, and let's go there because I know you've got the five project rule. Uh, break that down for us. I mean, is that is five the limit and how big are we talking? Each of these can be concurrently. Alrighty, so I'll say it the long way that probably only I'm going to say it, but it's <laughs> the long way is no more than five active projects per time perspective. So I'll start at the end with that with time perspective. Um, most of us intuitively know the difference between a week sized project and a month sized project. Just like we know the intuitive difference between a month sized project and a quarter sized project. And, you know, Eric, I'm going to do this for just a second. I'm going to, I'm going to invite the, the listener to, to do two things. One, Consider the size of an ant, right? Little ant. Now, at the same time, think about the size of the Milky Way galaxy. Okay, so there are some people listening when they try to do that. You'll see them squinting. You'll see all sorts of braingasms trying to happen that can't because we can't think of those two sizes at the same time. We just literally can't. My argument is that when we think of days and we think of quarters, it's a similar type of problem. We literally can't do it. Our brains go haywire. And then we're like, screw that. I'm just going to go on Facebook and do something right because that, that hurt the brain. Um, the advantage of thinking in terms of time perspectives is it's like when you're trying to plan your week, you can say, OK, what are the five week size projects that I want to make significant progress on or finish this week? 
And just as a simple rubric here or simple sort of guideline, I encourage people to think three economic projects and two personal projects if you have a job and that's your main thing. But some people need to split that up, right? So what what five are you trying to do? Maybe when you're doing your monthly planning, you say, okay, what five month-sized projects can we do that? And that gives you a little conceptual grip. Then when you're trying to think about what you're doing this week, if you've already considered the month, you can say, okay, I've already decided what my five month-sized projects are. What are the smaller chunks, the smaller week-sized chunks of those that I can do this week? Great. Um, and then you get no more five of that, right? And people ask me all the time, Charlie, what's up with the five? Over a decade of doing this, talking to a lot of people, coaching a lot of people, what I found is that most of us don't do more than five anyways, right? If we get two or three done a week, we're doing really, really well, especially two or three economic projects. So why assume we're going to do more than that? If we know that if we're going to commit to 17 and do three one week, and then next week we're going to commit to 22 and do three that week, it just makes a lot more sense to choose we're going to do three at the beginning, to choose the three at the beginning. And not have all of the regret, frustration, exasperation, and excess excess ice cream eating at the end of the week when we didn't do the additional that we're just not going to do. So it makes it super manageable. The other thing that it does is it's a lot easier to plan and deconflict and triage when you've got a smaller set of projects than when you've got 32, right? Um, Because what happens is we take on too many projects and we end up in what I call a cascade where one project gets behind that bumps another project behind, that bumps another project behind. And then at a certain point, you spend more time trying to figure out where projects are and communicate them with people than actually doing the work of moving the projects forward. Wow. Right. Yeah. A smaller, a smaller known set of projects that you can finish make a bigger difference. And the other thing that I'll say about here, about this here is that you would be astonished by the momentum you will make in your life getting three really significant projects done per week for a year. Just focus on it for a year. You will change your life. And I know I sound like a motivational speaker and yes, there's OxyClean coming, but um, the truth of the matter is, is most of us aren't doing that. And when you look at those folks that they say they're going to do something at about the same time we say that we're going to do something, they finished and we're still thinking about doing it. Right. And they just keep lapping us. What we know deep down is that they're focusing on it and they're getting it done and we're not, right? And so why I say five projects is it's not just, you know, um, it, there's a way of chunking it down so that, yes, all of the routines in your back in, in the life, all of the, you know, going to the bathroom, taking the kids to work and the meetings that you have to, those are going to happen, right? But you got to sort of prioritize some of these bigger ones so that they do happen and, again, don't end up in the cracks and left over time. So, and remember, it's no more than five, No more than five means that you can choose two. Um, And I'll say this real quick. If you are going through recovery for an accident, if you have a chronic illness, if you're going through a grieving process, you can either count that one of two ways. You can count it as a project that's taking time, energy, and attention. Or you can assume that it takes up a project slot because it takes up that time, energy, and attention. Either way, you get to the point to where, like, if you just got it, were in a car accident and, um, you know, happen to lose someone in that car accident, you're going to be going through a lot of stuff. You're not going to be on point in the same way that you were before all of that. And I think we don't give ourselves enough space to say, you know what, I'm going through this physical journey right now that is pulling life force from me. And I'm going through this emotional journey right now that is pulling life force from me. And my project is making space for that. 
and not beating myself up because I'm not able to do all the things and grieve or recover from from these types of things. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X dot com to learn more. Currently, and this this fits right in with I am becoming uh, more who, who I'm meant to be. One of my ongoing projects is me uh, recovering from not being physically active and or healthy. Mm-hmm. That is unique in its project uh, basis. You know, we can run it through the rubric and, you know, the, 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 I don't know, all, you know, the workflow of the, of the project. Uh, but it's one of those things where it's never going to be something that fully ends, but it could be something that I get to the point of being on autopilot enough habitually, which it, to a certain extent it has because I've been doing, I've been using the Apple Watch and I've been, let's see, it was July, August, September, and now we're into October, halfway through. Uh, I've had perfect, you know, activity, um, you know, closing the rings, if people know mm-hmm. what that means. So I know what you mean. You I know, got one too. So I've, I've habitualized it to that point, but there's other than pieces that have to be tweaked and whatever. Anyway, what's your perspective on that being almost in my mind, like an ongoing project I'm never going to drop? It's absolutely a project. I, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, so I did something similar, Eric. In So um, from April 1st to about the end of June, I lost 25 pounds. Nice. Um, and I was like, you know what? I had been putting it off. I had a health thing last year and I was finishing the book last year. And I just picked up you know, my, my freshman 15 for the book weight. <laughs> and then other things happened. And so I was like, you know what? It's got to make it a project. And so I just followed so much of what's in the book to actually do that. And that's how I was able to do that. And what I would say is there are certain 
um, projects we have to prioritize because they literally are building that bridge, right? And we're, put, we're having to piece it together. And then there's other things that we've done to continue the metaphor where we can just walk across the bridge we've already built. It doesn't take as much effort, right? Um, and so where what we forget about, especially um, losing weight and diets and things like that, those are actually lifestyle changes. You got to where you were because your lifestyle was had a certain status quo that got you there. For you to get to a different place, you have to change your lifestyle. Diets, timing, schedules, exercise, sleeping, all of those things go in there. And you're absolutely right. It might take – well, it usually takes people much longer than they want it to take. But it might be six months or a year of you iteratively changing your life so that you get to where you need to be. And then it can be on autopilot and it's no longer one of your main projects. And you may also find that because of, you know, health conditions and age and, you know, injuries and things like that, that maintaining the level of fitness that's right for you is always going to take a project. So you don't get five. Well, you get five, but you don't get five extra <laughs> or you don't you don't start from five. You start from four. Yeah. What was in the background is always going to be that thing. Yeah. What was the OK? You said five per what? What was the other thing? Time perspective. Time perspective. So my time perspective is what needs to shift here that there's always going to be a slot that's taken up by that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so every quarter, you know that you're going to be doing something. But I would just say probably for the next two years or three years, Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of your project slots is your physical health journey. Um, and that's just where it's going to be. And you might get to a point to where it's automatic. You might get to a point where it's not, and that's okay, right? Whatever's okay. And that's what I would want you to be looking at in that scenario is if it's not at a place of automaticity and habituation that you can just do it on autopilot is what you would want to replace it with more important than that thing. And if it is, I'm not going to judge that for you, right? That's your life. Um, but if it's not, then it's like, OK, that's always going to win that priority cage match. It's always going to throw the other priority or the project out of the ring. And so we just say, OK, so you have four projects. Um, but that goes to that three, two thing that I mentioned earlier. So we know that one of your personal projects is always going to be um, this exercise or physical health journey sort of thing. And you might, you know, be going through a divorce or marriage or, you know, you might be having kids. You might be doing things like that that change some of those types of things. And those two slots are full. So then we say, okay, with the remaining three, what are you doing with those, right? How are you getting those forward? And I will admit, um, because it's a daily practice for me, like I will admit that that can cause a lot of frustration and exasperation and tugging at the reins because we all want to do more, right? The, the fundamental human condition is that we are an unlimited sentience in a limited body of space, time, and energy, Right. And so we're always going to be tugging against that. We're all, our reach is always going to exceed our grasp. And that's not a problem with you. It's not a problem with me. That's what it means to be human. And, and when you choose to say, you know what, these are the things that I'm going to do. These are the things that, you know, at next year's conference, I'm not going to show up and be talking about things that I'm working on. I'm going to talk about the things I finished. Right. Um, I'm going to, you know, next time I have that coffee with a friend and they ask how the project's going, I'm not going to be like, oh, it's going OK. I'm going to like, no, I did that. Right. There are certain types of things that when you finish them, they build your confidence in ways that's so hard um, to you know, really articulate Two, they build that bridge to that new life that you want to be. Three, they be in three. They set up opportunities that. You need to have set up so that you can go into the next thing. And four, they just remove a lot of that 
regret, exasperation, and creative constipation that, that comes from not doing the stuff you most want to do. Now, earlier we were talking about the whole, you know, monetizing of a hobby or turning hobbies into, uh, you know, putting the pressure of monetization on them uh, that they have to fulfill then and then that the pressure that that puts on them. Um, we've got day jobs. We've got, quote, side hustles and all of these things. Now, are you saying that these five projects, lim- the, the limit of five projects is across all of your roles or is it and, – and, and I really don't want to hear you say it's five in, in, in any individual place because that just seems like crazy making to me. No, it's five across all your life. Okay. So, so for example, uh, f- let's take, take my example. I'm, my physical one is one of my five. That's a mm-hmm. slot that's going to be taken up by that for a very long time and it's a priority for me. So I have no problem with that. This podcast – uh, probably at times needs to take uh, or or it's a role. We could discuss that, but I, you know we don't need to go into that. But basically, I have a day job and I have the podcast, and then I have my family, and you know, so across all those realms. Like in other words, if work, you know, based on your day job, is this thing that you you even talk about that in the book, living by other people's expectations. If you have a day job, yeah, you're kind of you know, depending upon the amount uh, amount of uh, autonomy you have in your role. You could be assigned projects or you can assign yourself projects too, I guess. Uh, but say you've got two to three right there. And then that's where a lot of people find themselves stuck where they're like, well, out of the five, like three of them are already in my day job, maybe four. And, and that, you know, and that, and I would question where you're working, by the way, if you're, if they're giving you like almost all five of them right there. Uh, but that's where we get into this whole like overload and having to quote hustle in the margins and, and all of that. I mean, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, you're right on point. So what I would say is there are different ways you can look at your job. So when I do consulting with organizations, I'm, I'm pushing the same thing to them, right. And saying like, okay, like let's focus your team so that they're making no more than three powerful commitments per week. And if they're not getting those done, then we're making two powerful commitments. And if they're not doing those, then we're making one until we get to a point to where they know that their team is executing. And so we talk a lot about what I call the commit to completion ratio that's in the team. Um, so I would, I would say definitely that, but if you want to be more simple, like if you know that your job is, um, taxing enough that you're spent at the end of the day after doing it, guess what? Your three economic slots are taken up by your job. Not a whole lot I can do about that. That's just the reality of it. Yeah, and well, so what and, you get- and let me pause you right there because I think I want to understand what you just said. Even if you don't literally have three projects at your day job, it is the equivalent of spending the energy on three. And so, you know, like you're saying, I mean, you could kind of fudge it and say, oh, it only took two. Maybe I can come up with some more time in my in the rest of my time and and, or renew my energy a little bit more, you know, by listening to this podcast and learning things. Uh, But uh, you see what like, is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Okay, great. Perfect. And we, I, I think a lot of us have had jobs where it's a full-time job, but it wasn't taxing. Like it was just a lot of filler space. Sure. Um, I, I had multiples of those. And so I would say, yeah, I was there full-time. But honestly, it really only took one project slot. And that's where I started the business because I was like, well, I'm going to do something. It's more frustrating for me to sit somewhere and not do something than to do something. Yes. So it didn't take that much time. But I've also had jobs where, you know, it took three or four, like especially like when I was deployed overseas, I took all five. That's just what yep. it took. Yep. Right. Um, I, I did have a life. I wasn't doing things else. I was getting it done and coming home. That was the job. Um, and so you have to really be serious about that. And that's where you're like, well, what do I do if I want to do all these other things? It's like, what are you doing with those other two slots? 
Right. And if you're like, well, I got a chronic illness and then, you know, I've got my kids that, that are going through this intense stage of life. And then I've got my full time job just taking up three slots. And I'm like, OK, great. That's your life right now. It's not going to be that way forever. Right. We live in project world. We haven't talked so much about this, Eric. So, yeah, the reality is every three to five years internally and externally, your life is going to change. Here's what I mean by that. Internally, with your personal life. You know, if you have kids or if you're on that journey, then every three to five years they're going to be in a different phase. Um, your, you know, relationships tend to be in these three to five year slices. Our parents and brother and siblings and everything like that. There tends to be these three to five years where there's some significant change in our relationships or some significant changes in ourselves that becomes its own sort of meta project, capital P project. And when we look at economically, it's the same way. Like we get new jobs, we take on new roles. By the way, if you're a small business owner, every three to five years, your business is going to evolve and change in ways that you're going to have to do something different. And that's normal and good. And so every three to five years, we're going to have these changes going anyways. And so I think so many people get frustrated because they're like, ah, that's my life and it's forever going to be my life. It's like, no, like there will be a come a time to where if it's, you know, constraints of relationships, those relationships will emerge and you'll get free time, right? Or you'll get a new slot or much like what we're talking about with you, Eric, it might say three to five years that that's your health journey. And yeah. at, the end of, at the end of that, you'll have new things that are open up and maybe you go from where you are now to like, you know what? I actually want to run, you know, obstacle courses. I want to be a tough mutter, right? Okay. So in the next three to five years of your life, you're involved in that project because that's what you've set up with your current project. Right. And it's going to evolve. And so it's like, it's not forever, but it's right now. And that's the reality of it. So with these constraints, how can you be the best version of yourself and live your best life so that you don't, slide in to that next journey with the regret, frustration, and sort of, you know, just that residue of all the things you committed to and told yourself to do that we know if we're being realistic and we're being compassionate, you're not going to be able to do. If we already know that from the beginning, why sit you up for that emotional trap and saying, you know what, just rock out with the five that you have right now and or here's what I'll say. So, when I do talk to people on the career side of things and like, oh, I got the job, I don't like it. And it's taking up all my time. And we really start applying their gates, which is that concept I talked about earlier to their job. What they're actually able to do is transform that day job they don't like into either a better day job or to, you know, figure out how to make their job much more fitting for them and get the results done so that that drive to work. Um, is something that they start looking forward to because they get to be themselves at work. They get to win at work versus just showing up and punching the clock at work. So that might be what you do with your three slots. And again, you spend three to five years being super intentional about that. You will create a better job for yourself. It's impossible not. Well, I won't say it's impossible. It's very unlikely for you to stay in the same spot. So again, how are you using these three to five year slices of your life and what projects are you finishing such that you're continuing to get ever better every day? See, and now that you've said that, that three to five, you know, year time frame, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I think in the same way that somebody could be coming home uh, from their day job every day and saying, well, that's taking up three slots right there because of the amount of, you know, energy taxing it, it does on me. I'm thinking of my personal 
uh, project of physical activity slash health as being something that, you know what, I'd like to get it to the point where that is now not a project that I have to intentionally manage because it's automated and habitualized uh, by that, you know, three year point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where you get to start asking questions, Eric. Like, and part of my journey was that I hired a personal trainer, right? And that was one of the ways where I looked at the resources that I had available, those total resources I had available. And I was like, you know what? It's worth it to me to pay a personal trainer for them to have the, you know, cognitive and emotional and a pragmatic bandwidth on their side so that I can just show up and do what they tell me to do. And so my one job becomes show up. Right. As opposed to like figure out what my training program is and so on and so forth. Now, I was in a point and, you know, I am at a point to where I can afford a personal trainer. And at the same time, I'm just going to slide this in here. Like my wife and I only own one car that we've had for 10 years. So we're not paying a car payment, which allows us to reallocate those funds to different things like this and more experiences and things like that. So I'm just saying that's a choice that we made and it was a priority. And so that's what I would want to say when we think about it as a project. Um, And I talk about this in the book as well. You can also start thinking about like what's a budget that makes sense for you so that you treat it as if it were an economic project, because that's absolutely what we would do as small business owners. Like, oh, I got this new thing. I'd build a budget for it. I'd figure it out. But when we look at our personal life, we're like, oh, no, I can't spend money on that. Why not? Why not? If it's really a priority and you know, to your point, Eric, where you want to have this automated in the background and, and, you know, that amount of time, it might take a different level of investment to get there versus keep doing it the slow sort of in the background. I'll get to it when I get to it. Wait, not saying that that's how you're doing it, but you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So say we've gotten to the point where we realize, okay, I, I am, I've done kind of an assessment of where I'm at with what I'm already committed to slash, you know, what my current project load is and I have room uh, in my five slots for at least one. What is that first step as we start to assess slash, you know, enter into the process of starting to work on a new project? All right. So um, this is actually one of the harder questions, but we're going to give it a shot anyways. All right. Um, The general theme that I would want to say here is I want more people to use their heart to steer the choices versus their brain. Right. Use your use your heart, because, again, when we start thinking over and overthinking, we end up choosing a lot of the wrong projects. So that's going to be the general theme from most of what I'm going to say that follows. Right. So the first one is um, think about those projects that you've hidden away in sort of the closet in your soul. Right. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Right. They're hidden around there. Let's pretend that one of them got taken from you. You weren't going to be able to do it for the rest of your life. And we want it to be like a little wince, a little pain there. That's a really good candidate to put on deck, right? Um, I want that pain, that sense of longing and that sense of like, for instance, when I'm a coach and when I'm coaching people, I know when I cut too much, when I cut it and someone like viscerally reacts to it, like it's almost like cutting a tree, you know, <laughs> like, oh no. So that that is a really good candidate for a project. Another great candidate for a project is um, – a project that you don't think you're emotionally ready to do and that you don't think you can do it alone and you don't think it has you have what it, you don't think you have what it takes right now that's a really good candidate for a project um, because if you feel that way now likely you're going to feel that way in 2 years right so we might as well go ahead and start doing the work and start running towards that uncomfort that discomfort and that uncertainty today 
rather than kicking it down the can for three years. The third one, this is where we're going to recruit more of our brain, is what types of project would make the most significant contribution to your life? And that could be that life piece is harder because it might be, you know, the the part of my life that I want to um, grow the most is my community. I want to be much more involved in my community or I want to be a better partner. I want to be, um, you know, a better spiritual person, so on and so forth. So which of projects will sort of feed that aspect of your life that currently is undernourished? And then the fourth one would be what's a project that you've been waiting to give yourself permission to do that just is fun, but not productive, not one of those things that sets up something else um, and that maybe it's just time to make room for a fun project. So I think those four questions can make a smaller set of um, three to five projects that will come from that. And from there, um, if one doesn't win, one usually wins. Um, but if one doesn't win, go with the one that you can finish the fastest. And now none of those uh, necessarily were focused in on one of the dimensions or the ch- the choice uh, having to do because because again you said choose with your heart uh, had to do with uh, again that business slash monetizing mode uh, being an outcome although I know for you like this book was a project for you that obviously mm-hmm. you want to sell but uh, it's still you're coming at it from that other perspective. Yeah, I'm coming at it from that under, other perspective. And again, that, that goes to maybe the fourth question that I listed there. Like that was, you can say the aspect of my life that I want to, the domain of my life, mm, to, if I yeah, use my own language, yeah. the domain that I want to increase is my financial um, side of my life. So you might choose projects that help you make more money or save more money. That's completely legit, right? That's the part of your life you want to improve. And so what that also means is that if you end up doing projects that like maybe you don't have like all the love for that project, maybe you don't like it's not the thing you wake up in the morning lit up to do. You can come back and say, you know what? That's all right, because the point of this project wasn't to make me happy. It wasn't to like make me feel good. It wasn't to increase flow. It was to help get money in the bank. And there are ways that I can do that that, that don't like make it suck worse than it's going to. But the point of this job, the job to be done of this project was not creative fulfillment. It wasn't, you know, emotional satisfaction. It was security and giving that. So I can do this as long as I need to to get to that point. Or maybe you changed along the way and say, you know what, that destination is no longer as relevant to me. And again, if the destination changes, don't build a bridge to go there. Um, build a bridge to where you want to go. And so th- that's what I would say on something like that. And I think too many people, especially creative people, because of just the sort of scripts that we've got from our culture, we get to the point to where when we have to do a project that just isn't creative or fun or passion or whatever we're, you know, have his own inspiration, we make a huge story about it being wrong. And I'm like, you know what? Like we do laundry and few people enjoy doing laundry, but we know that it's one of those things that's got to be done. It sets up it sets us up in a certain way. There are just some projects that may be like that. And if that's a priority to you, i.e. financial security, financial vitality, financial abundance is a priority for you, then absolutely you can have projects that go that way. But if it's not, choose something else. Well, and if we're somebody who, again, has this day job and two out of the three projects or three out of the five or whatever the number is, are taken up by that, then this is an opportunity for you 
to look at what those tasks in that project are and the project as a whole in that day job and say, okay, well, I didn't get to necessarily have ownership or choose these, but can I connect them to any of those decision, you know, the decision factors that then I can get my heart on board with these? Yeah. Well, see, that's the funny thing. So for folks that are in that position, what we end up selecting for or what ends up getting selected for when we're looking at promotions, when we're looking at raises and things like that is people who step up and volunteer to take on more responsibility, lead more projects and actually have more ownership. So in the case that you gave, Eric, well, I didn't get ownership. Well, there are probably all sorts of ways in which you can take over projects or slowly work towards owning more projects that if that's the thing that you're really yearning to have more of, you can do that at work, get what you need there, but also, you know, not have this whole story that like work, like you're a victim of work as it were, right? That it's just work is something that happens to you that you got to do. You got to put in the hours. Um, There's moments of choice and ownership and autonomy that we can build for ourselves. And even if it's a challenge, that it's a challenge and that it's something that we're trying to crack can keep us in the game. Mm. Right. If if it were one of those things where like a lot of us actually check out when there's no longer the challenge or puzzle. And so we think our, to ourselves, like I want like in this particular com- this particular context, like, oh, like, you know, I, I want these types of things. But like if you make it a game and you're like, oh, I tried that. It didn't work. I tried this. It didn't work. I tried that. It worked a little bit. I could do more of that. And you treat your work in a, like a game in that way. Like we play games that are challenging because we want to be challenged. Treat your work like that, not in a challenge in the sense of it's albatross or this sort of like karmic challenge and you're weighted down by it. But like, no, like my challenge today is one, to show up as powerfully as I can at work. Two, to move the ball forward on significant projects. Three, to transform my current position into something that's a better version of it for me or into an ideal position or to set myself up for a position elsewhere. That's what I'm going to do every day. And when you set it up like that, the questions in the morning become are the leading questions are not what do I have to do today in that sense of dread or like, you know, what's coming at me. But it's more like, OK, what is on deck today that I need to address? What are these other things that I need to address? How am I going to weave them? How am I going to make it all work? How am I going to put this puzzle together? And again, that engagement tends to drive up and the satisfaction with the job um, goes up even if you're not winning every day. And I would imagine then if you're engaging differently than, you know, in intentionally and actively versus passively and begrudgingly, uh, like we said before, if a day job's taking like three project slots and feels like it's or, or, or maybe it's not taking three project. It's not taking three project slots because it's actually three projects. It's taking that because it feels like it's taking that. It's draining mm-hmm. you. You could shift how much energy it feels like it's taking. And in fact, you might even walk away energized. Absolutely. Ener- absolutely energized. And um, quick tip here is always figure out what your boss's priorities are and gamify your projects around that or sort of triangulate your projects around that. So, yes, you feel like you're pushing the ball forward. And it turns out you actually are pushing the ball forward because people notice that when you go from um, demoralized and passive and sort of, you know, always looking for your way out the door to really engage, leaning forward, taking projects on, being that collaborator, you know, you know, coming, being the person that comes up with solutions to problems rather than just problems. People notice that super quickly. 
Um, and then that's what you get to spend your time doing more of. Yeah. So uh, this has been a great conversation so far about perspective and starting to wrestle with projects and deciding and, you know, not overloading as you're entering in. But this is really all just teaser for the book. And I did not intend to set this up this way. You know, you know, there's there's a nine step method in the book that is really just a handbook as to then from this point forward in the conversation, hit the ground running and actually get this good work done and complete and actually complete finally uh, (laughs) projects that you're starting. I would love for you to share where are the best places or the best place, I guess I should say, uh, for people to go check out the book if they want to learn a little bit more about it, if they're still you know, kind of on the fence. I think most people, though, really just need to pick this up. This is going to sit on my desk uh, for a while as I kind of dissect it a bit more because uh, I'm <laughs> I've got some projects, man. I got some projects I want to you already you heard about one of them, but I've got another one that I'm thinking of really uh, intently that I want to figure out how to to get in here and, and get done. So, oh, I'm super pumped about to hear more about that other project. But to answer your question, um, go to startfinishingbook.com. You'll see more of what the book's about. You'll be able to download a free chapter, see if it's really your thing. And I really appreciate the time today. I, I also did not mean for it just to be a pure teaser, but there's so much to talk about. But what I want to sort of wrap things up with, though, is to remind folks that, one, they're not uniquely defective. Um, they're not less than and they're not wired to struggle like eternally. Like there are just challenges and roadblocks that are in the way between where you are and where you want to go. And that's precisely what the book helps you do. It helps you look at those challenges and roadblocks, break them down into doable parts and build that bridge that takes you where you want to be. Yeah, man. And and I, I have no regrets. This was I, I don't view it at all as teaser. I think this is really kind of more about. Uh, you know, when you're planting something, you got to break up the ground. So we, we broke the ground up and we planted some seeds. Uh, now the, now people can get down to get to work. So I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and this is just conversation one, I hope. Eric. Yeah. Just oh, totally. One. No, you're, you're coming back. Uh, we'll figure that out as soon as that's a project right there. So. <laughs> It's more like a task. But anyways, we didn't yeah. even get into that part. But Charlie, great. Yeah, you're you're coming back uh, as soon as possible. And uh, great talking with you, man. Great talking to you, too. And I'm really looking forward to our next one. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Charlie Gilkey. I know that I did. And like I said at the beginning, this book of his is definitely one of the handbooks of productivity for me and should be for you moving forward. I strongly recommend this book, Start Finishing, by Charlie Gilkey. And remember, you can find it at startfinishingbook.com. Or if you're just too busy while you're listening to this to stop and take a note, just remember, you can always go to the show notes for this episode at beyondthetodolist.com. There you'll find a link to the book and Charlie himself and everything else that we talked about in this episode. While you're there, you can share this episode with somebody that you know needs to hear this. I would love for you to share this episode with somebody. It helps to spread the word about this show to people who would enjoy listening to it as much as you do. So thanks again for sharing. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next episode.